Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Kim Droves, in for Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. Atlanta garage rocker Rod Hamdala has been tearing up the local music scene since before he was old enough to get his first drink. Coming up, our series Speaking of Music highlights Hamdala ahead of his show this evening at the Earl in East Atlanta. Then, from music videos to elaborate pop-ups to Atlanta's own Trap Music Museum, art director Marina Skye has created some legendary set designs. Later this hour, City Lights producer Summer Evans goes behind the scenes with Skye and learns the story behind her DIY journey. But first, creating paper origami figures can be both fun and daunting. The creases must be flawless and the design perfectly symmetrical. Well, imagine creating an origami figure out of metal that stands 24 feet tall. Artist and sculptor Kevin Box has done just that for the Atlanta Botanical Garden's new exhibition, Origami in the Garden, on view now through October 16th. If enormous metal origami sounds familiar, perhaps it's because you've seen Box's installation Conversation Piece, a take on rock, paper, scissors that's on the corner of 10th and Peachtree. City Lights host Lois Reitzis recently caught up with the artist and began by asking how Conversation Piece serves as a preview to what viewers will see at the Atlanta Botanical Garden. Well, I think the rest of the sculptures in our exhibition are are themed with origami. And for conversation piece, there's only one element of origami, and that's a traditional Japanese crane that's at the very top of the 12-foot-tall sculpture. And the other components are a pair of scissors and a rock. Scissors aren't normally considered when folding traditional origami because the challenge is to make something wonderful without any cuts or tape or glue. So that piece introduces that concept as well as the decision-making that come along with making origami. Would you explain why you believe origami is a metaphor for life? Well, I studied art history when I was in university at the School of Visual Arts. And one of the things that I was introduced to in a humanities class there as well was the philosophy of tabula rasa which is known from the ideas of Aristotle, who was a Greek philosopher. And he spoke about beginning with a blank slate, so to speak. 
And to me, the blank slate is an archetype of the creative challenge. It, it is a symbol of what we all face when making something out of nothing. So whether you're a mathematician or a writer or an entrepreneur or an artist, we all begin with a blank page. And the challenge is how do we make something out of nothing? And origami starts in that humble beginning. Each piece begins with a simple blank square of paper. And it's up to our creative choices to adjust, alter, and determine a creative outcome. So what inspired you to create these particular origami pieces? Well, for me, you know, I spoke of the philosophy of the Greeks, and uh, we're talking about metaphors of life. It's about telling a human story. And for me to be excited and engaged in a subject matter that's going to really draw my attention and resources to produce something that's gonna take me a year or more of dedicated time, energy, and effort. It's gotta draw on something that I feel people will really resonate and respond to, whether it be a sense of peace or conflict resolution in the conversation piece that we discussed earlier, or themes of beauty and sensitive things like gratitude, ideas of appreciation and sincerity. What does it mean to be sincere? So as an artist, I'm a visual artist, and yet most of the subject matter at which I'm really addressing are invisible themes, themes that occupy our hearts and our minds on a daily basis. And I think that as a visual artist, if I can activate some of those questions or activate some of those answers, then the work is going to live on sort of in conversation moving forward of, of thought and, and ideas between people. I read that creating these metal sculptures was a very collaborative process. Please tell us more. Well, I, I think sculpture is sort of a team sport. It's not something that <laughs> you can really do by yourself. I actually started my first foundry job working at a bronze foundry and here in Atlanta at the Inferno Art Foundry, just south of town. And when I began as an apprentice there, I learned of all the different steps and all the different departments that you could get a job in basically, helping an artist to realize a museum quality bronze sculpture. So that's the first step is just the nature of actually making these things is not something I can do by myself. But then when it came to designing the work, and realizing that my expertise in sculptural processes and materials was very consuming, the idea that I was going to now take the time to become an origami master <laughs> and learn this incredible paper folding art, which has evolved tremendously in the last couple of decades, I thought, you know, my favorite artists are musicians. They work together. Why not do the same? And so I reached out over a decade ago and began asking and inviting some origami artists that were of world renown uh, if they would be interested in collaborating on some of my ideas. And I was delighted to be well-received and have had an incredible privilege of working with some of the best origami artists in the world. And your wife is among them? My wife is an artist as well. Her background is in dance and education, and she uh, has a master's in nonprofit administration from NYU. 
So I have a saying that for every creative action, there's an equal and opposite administrative reaction. And so <laughs> it takes a team in the office as well. So she helps manage the business and the finances and the organization, but she's also a very creative person and has edged her way into the studio more than once to add her flavor, so to speak, to our, our conversation in sculpture. And she's got a brand new piece at the garden that we just unveiled of a paper dress called Carried Away that's in the one of the gardens that is just spectacular. And mm-hmm. so she, she gets to play as well. Kevin, what does the installation of these works entail? Oh my goodness. We spent three years building all this for one thing. And then we spent a number of months building crates and planning how the work would be transported on tractor trailers. We loaded six tractor trailers completely full stem to stern, 53 feet long each to bring all the work to Atlanta. We flew out the weekend after we loaded all the tractors and we landed on Sunday and at 7 a.m., I think Monday morning, we were unloading these tractors, getting them in staging areas, trying to get works installed as, as, as we could. But the Atlanta Botanical Garden is a, it's a unique space that's designed for pedestrian paths, really. And they hired an incredible team from Superior Rigging and Crane Company to come out. And their hashtag, I think, is pretty funny. It's, they make the hard look possible. And they came out with a team of guys and and girls that had installed in this garden and do work in this garden exclusively. And they were special requests. And they were incredible at navigating the narrow paths with heavy equipment and large works as we maneuvered these things into place. Oh, gosh. A little bit different from hanging a picture on a gallery wall. Indeed, indeed. Which is why I have a bumper sticker on the back of my truck that says, could have been a painter. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think of it all the time. Oh boy, if I'd only been a painter, this would have been so much easier. Oh, how many origami works are on view now in the garden? Well, you know, there are hundreds of pieces and components that go into these things, but we're calling them display areas in the sense that there might be a number of sculptures that make up one display. And I have brought a number of triptychs in this exhibit, which are pieces that are composed of three different components. But I would say in total, there are 20 different sculptural displays to to witness and to discover at the garden. Some of them, like I said, are composed of more than one thing. And one of those displays is a, a show we call Inside Out, and it's in the Garden House Gallery. And there are a number of examples of original origami paper foldings by these masters that we collaborate with, as well as the unfolded stars that origami present when you are finished folding an origami design. The majesty to me and what's so beautiful is that for one more metaphor, some of the most beautiful aspects of origami are hidden beneath the surface on the inside. And the only way to discover them is to actually deconstruct and unfold these beautiful characters and to see all the folds revealed in that square. Many of them end up looking like stars or mandalas 
or just these incredible quilt-like patterns. And so I love to share that aspect of the work as well. So that'll be on display. Would you describe some of the highlights on view in addition to what we've already talked about? Sure. With the collaborators that we spoke about, Robert J. Lang is in there. He's an Atlanta native, actually. We have collaborations with Michael G. LaFosse, who is one of the only origami artists in the world that is involved in making paper, especially for origami. Beth Johnson is there. She's a Michigan artist who's got really contemporary and, and unique designs. And together we've created things like origami deer that have all the detail of antlers and ears and legs, all from a single uncut square of paper. We have a 30 foot tall bouquet of origami flowers that are kinetic. So a lot of the flowers on that piece turn in the wind when there's a little breeze. We've got tulips out in the stores of woods. We have paper boats floating. And I'm sure you and your listeners are aware of the goddess, yes. the garden goddess that Atlanta Botanical Garden is famous for. She is sort of setting all of these origami boats into the the pond there out in front of her. And she's got one of the boats is in her hand, which is a really special in, interaction with that piece. Now, would this be the time to ask about the hidden Easter eggs? Each of the pieces have this little bonus. Why didn't you want to include these little hidden gems? And can you tell us about some of them? Well, I think that the titles and the meaning of the piece are certainly a special thing to discover. And there's an audio tour where you can actually dial in and listen to me and some of the artists tell stories. But I think what you're referring to are also, you know, these are very large works of art. Some of them, you know, as I said, 30 feet tall, eight, there's an 18 foot tall Pegasus. But I always want to make something and, and provide something unique whenever you're up close and you can get close enough. And so, for instance, on some of the pinwheels, the kinetic pieces, in order to balance them and get them to spin the way we wanted to, we added little counterweights. And in those weights, we were discussing, well, how are we gonna make this disappear? And rather than make them disappear, we decided to make them appear as butterflies or little bugs that are crawling around on the flowers or the artwork. So that sort of got spread out into a couple of other places. And you can certainly find some unique little discoveries on, on a lot of the pieces. Oh, what fun. A major work in the exhibition and focal point is called Masterpiece. Again, spelled P-E-A-C-E. What's the story behind this giant tower of origami birds? Masterpiece itself is a single sculpture of a thousand cranes. And that piece is special because in Japan and in Asia in general, there's an ancient myth that if you fold a thousand cranes, you'll have a wish come true. And people do this for wishes of prosperity, good health. People do it for weddings and funerals to wish our loved ones good journey, both in life and death. And so this is such a special concept and story that many people have folded what's called a senbazuru in Japanese or a thousand cranes all over the world that we decided to make one sculpture 
that celebrated this. So we cast a thousand cranes in stainless steel and 500 of the cranes are welded together into a monument in the exhibit and they stand over a reflecting pond which reflects the other 500 cranes. And the other 500 cranes that we cast were actually sold and are still, there are a few for sale in order to spread the message around the world and people can actually own or collect a part of a masterpiece. But the largest piece is the 30 foot, it's actually I think 31 foot tall bouquet that's called Sense of Gratitude. And it's spelled S-C-E-N-T-S. As in floral. Yes. Speaking of which, the works are surrounded by a myriad of colorful flowers and plants. You mentioned the goddess, that iconic piece at the Atlanta Botanical Garden. How do other aspects of the surrounding environment complement these sculptures? Well, botanical gardens in general are a place of exhibition and collection for plant collections and species that not only are rare, but also are easy to find so that people in your community can go there and get ideas of what they might do in their yards. And Atlanta Botanical Garden has an exceptional body of staff that have a budget and a creative opportunity each year to design new displays. And when we bring in works of sculpture like this for a summer show, they get to see photos of what's gonna be there a year in advance and they get to plan their work of art around the work of art. And some of their compositions and plantings are just tremendous. And one of the ones that really stood out to me, you know, we bring the work in and we install it. And then as soon as we're out, their gardeners are in there fixing the beds and bringing in plants and mapping out where these things are all gonna go based on designs that they've been working on. And one of the designs that struck me was for a piece called Caravan. And Caravan depicts an origami turtle with an origami rabbit riding on its back that has a olive branch on which the end is hanging an origami carrot. And the carrot of course is orange. And when the gardeners came in and planted, they put these beautiful patterns of color and texture of plants, but on the road, it's almost like this turtle is on a path, they planted marigolds. And it, it, you can just see that these orange flowers are gonna bloom and emerge over the next coming weeks and become more and more of this vibrant orange path that the turtle is crawling across. And it's just fantastic to see. And these will get nothing but better as the season goes on. And I'm sure a number of the beds actually will be switched out a few times over the season. So there's more than one design that they've got in mind for some of these pieces. Artist and sculptor Kevin Box. His new exhibition, Origami in the Garden, is on view now at the Atlanta Botanical Garden through October 16th. More information is on our website, wabe.org. It's time now for our series, Speaking of Music, where we hear from local musicians in their own words. Hi, my name is Rod Hamdala. I play guitar and sing in my band, Rod Hamdala Band. I play garage rock, blues, and punk blues. I got started playing drums in punk bands 
Then got into playing guitar when I started sharing the stage with some amazing musicians, places like Northside Tavern and the Star Bar. Atlanta's been my home for more than half my life. It's uh, greatly influenced my music. Um, I wouldn't be the musician I am today without learning how to play music here. And the soul of the city is unbelievable. My favorite places to go see live music are uh, the Earl in East Atlanta and the Star Bar and Little Five Points, uh, two of the best venues around real deal rock and roll music venues. I do have some new music coming soon. We're coming back home to play The Earl on May 11th with Bob Log. Hope to see you there. Garage rocker Rod Hamdala and our series, Speaking of Music. Hamdala is playing this evening at the Earl in East Atlanta, and more information is available on our website, wabe.org. In a moment, City Lights producer Summer Evans takes us behind the scenes with art director and set designer Marina Skye. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Kim Drobes, in for Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Marina Skye likes to call herself a mood magician. As a creative director, Skye has designed sets for music videos, clothing stores, restaurants, and so much more. In 2017, she started her business, Set by Skye, and since has created moods for 21 Savage, Big Boy, and T.I.'s Trap Music Museum. Recently, City Lights producer Summer Evans caught up with Sky via Zoom and began by discussing the creative's DIY journey. I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. I'm an LA baby and ended up, I went to Clark Atlanta, so I came to Atlanta for school. And after school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I kind of had fallen in love with Atlanta. I'd become, you know, very comfortable here in this space. 
And I knew that it would be too expensive for me to go back to LA and figure it out. Is LA such a, in such an expensive city? After college, I stayed here and I did marketing for Ikea. And um, I did that for about a year and a half. And it was cool, but I knew that the corporate world wasn't ultimately for me personally. But I, I was, I did that because, you know, half of my family is very creative and the other half is very straight and narrow. And then about a year and a half into that, my brother was actually shot and killed. Mm, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. He, um, he was killed a week after his Morehouse graduation and a week before his birthday. When that happened, it was, you know, people always say this corny thing where like, life's too short and do what you want because you never know. Like you hear that and it really takes something like jarring to happen for you to really understand that that is actually the truth. And so when he passed away, it literally was a wake up call for me. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is exactly what I want to do with my life, but I don't know what that is. But like this very intense situation has just happened. And I think it's time for me to figure out what it is that I do want to do. So at that point, I had, a, I had a little bit of money saved up for my job. I didn't at the time have any like major commitments. I didn't have any children, no pets. No, I didn't have a boyfriend at the time. <laughs> and I wrote literally, I'm very, I'm like a very physical person. So like, I like, you know, writing things down as opposed to putting notes in my phone. I'm just very hands-on. And so I took pen to paper. I wrote down a list of the things that I know that I'm good at. I can make money at and, or I wouldn't hate doing if I was to make money doing it. And one of those things was fashion. Fashion has always been something I was good at, not necessarily a passion of mine, but I knew I could make money in it. And so I started a clothing line. And when I was doing, I was going to these trade shows about a year and a half of doing this. And let me take a step back. I actually ended up, you know, quitting my corporate job and then doing this full-time. So being a full-time creative in fashion. So while I was doing that, I started to realize about a year and a half into this, that my, I was paying more attention when I would go to these trade shows to how I would make my booth look different from other people's booths, as opposed to the actual clothing that I'm supposed to be, you know, selling to people. I soon realized that that idea was creative direction and set design. And it's like the moment I figured out that that's what I was actually interested in, that that's what I was doing. It was like, God was like, this is it. Like, hello, this is what I've been trying to get you to do for the, your entire life. Like, this is finally it. Congratulations, guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I started doing for a year, I did free work. I built up my portfolio because I wasn't, I'm not classically trained in this. I don't have a degree in architecture. I don't, I've never taken a theater class like ever. And these are things that typically like that set designers are well-versed in traditionally. So I had to figure out a way to gain the experience and quick um, without going back to school and, you know, in accruing debt and spending a lot of money. So I just did experience. So I did free creative direction set design for music videos, for photo shoots, for events for a year. And then I got my first big project, which was a multi-level nightclub that used to be on Trinity Ave called Club Daydreams. And the owner of it told me he wanted to create an experience and he wanted to use Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory as the, as the muse. And I was like, well, this is unusual, but I am so excited about this. And to up to that point, I was very interested in 
obsessed with, honestly, the night culture, the themed restaurant culture in Japan. And so I was like, well, I think it'd be cool to kind of take that concept and bring it to Atlanta where people love a good theme. So I designed a nightclub that was Willy Wonka meets Alice in Wonderland. We had mushroom benches at the bar. We had glowing clouds that changed colors on the ceiling. It was colorful. That sounds magical. (laughs) It was cool and people loved it. And the city hadn't seen anything like that. So that was the first project that kind of put me on the map. And then immediately from there, I I guess I got the attention of um, the Grand Hustle team and they reached out for me to do the Trap Music Museum. And then from there, I did an activation for 21 Savage that ended up getting a Clio Award, a Clio Advertising Award, and featured in Rolling Stone. And what's the Clio Awards for those who are unfamiliar with that? So a Clio Award is very similar to like a, a con, like a Cannes Lion Award, which is like a prestigious advertising award in, you know, the, in the advertising and marketing world. And then the projects started getting slightly bigger projects and slightly bigger projects. And I just kept on working. Yeah. And now you're making sets for music videos and concerts and all sorts yeah. of Yeah. I just did the Wale set for his tour. And I did some work for Summer Walker for Jimmy Fallon and some stuff for SZA and Isaiah Rashad for Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> and I just love your journey, how it started out in one direction and because of something so tragic, how you're honoring your brother by living out your passion. You know, that's just, yeah. that's really cool. And that's always, you try to figure out how to take, you know, something so, so intense and, and kind of put it on its head and create the flowers from the concrete if you can. So I hope I'm making them proud. (laughs) I definitely think you are. So how did you teach yourself? Did you do a lot of YouTube university? Like what did the (laughs) DIY look like for you when you started out? Man, just a lot of trial and error. So when I first started out, my best friend is a photographer, an amazing photographer. His name is Spencer Charles. Um, We were kind of starting our creative journeys at the same time. He just bought a camera like a month prior to my like great realization. And so I was like, hey, Spencer, I need pictures of things that I'm making. I'm not sure what I'm making yet, but I need someone to take a photo of them. He was like, all right, well, if I just got this camera, I'm going to figure out how to work it and we're going to figure it out. <laughs> and um, and that's what we did. So yes, to your point, a lot of DIY. Um, I always tell people Pinterest is my best friend. I am on Pinterest at least three times a day. It's really ridiculous at this point. I need to have stock if it was publicly <laughs> traded. Um, like, a lot of my inspiration comes from literally from Pinterest scrolling, like people scroll on Instagram or just like real life experiences. After a while, my brain just started to kind of absorb potential in the world. So like I'll go to a music festival and I'll see, you know, a lady with a really cool skirt on. But the way that the skirt moves, it could, it sounds like, you know, something. It could be added to a set for motion or I will be at a stoplight and I see something like a billboard on, you know, on the street and the colors on the billboard could be associated with, you know, the colors for a music video that I'm working on. I just kind of look at things a bit differently than I used to. And I think that's just after years and years of just being so deep into being a creative that it's like I eat, breathe, sleep it at this point. Mm-hmm. If you're just joining us, I'm City Lights producer Summer Evans speaking with Marina Sky, owner of Set by Sky. One of 
your really cool accomplishments that you've done so far is the fact that you are the lead set designer and art director for TI's Trap Music Museum. For those who haven't been to the Trap Music Museum, first, can you describe what that experience is like? Yeah, so basically the Trap Music Museum is paying homage to this specific genre of music. So trap music that specifically comes from the South and certain like states and then areas of the South. And so the entire museum is a dedication to the love of this specific type of music and then the people that have created it or helped create it. So each room is a different concept. We have like your grandma's living room in there where like most rappers, like you'll start out, they'll like write their rhymes in someone's living room. And so we we have a set design that's created exactly like, you know, the quintessential Southern grandma's living room with like the plastic on the couch (laughs) and like like the big butt TV and and like a wooden console. And then you kind of walk through and there are areas where you can actually make your own beats and your own music if you want to. Each room is kind of dedicated to a specific rapper. So we have a room dedicated for TI. We have a room dedica- dedicated for Gucci Mane, a dedication for Future. Then the space itself is basically cut into to half. So the first half is specifically installation with art included on the walls. Is there background in each set or each room? Is there a little background to like Gucci Mane and why this is dedicated to him? Yeah, so each each room will have like something that is quintessential that person. So the set will be catered toward that. And then the, the art on the walls will be of that person. And then there'll be a write-up about that person in the museum as well. It's the, the fusion of fine art and experience because we create these immersive sets, but we also have fine art included in them. Mm, very cool. And what was that collaboration process like with TI when creating the Trap Music Museum? It was really cool. At the time, I didn't know him like that. And so he would just kind of pop in at random times and he'd be, it's crazy in retrospect, like noticing things now, like years later. And I was just so into the creative process that I wasn't paying attention to what was happening around me until it happened. So like he would come in at like 11 in the morning with like CNN and we didn't know they were CNN and he would just be like showing them everything. But at the time, the museum was like halfway finished. So it wasn't nearly what it was going to end up looking like, but he would just come in with these people and explain to them things. And we're just in the thick of it, not even paying attention. And then, you know, two months later, we realized that that was in fact the correspondent for CNN and now it's featured on CNN. (laughs) It was just really cool. He's a very hands-on person. And so it's also really cool to see someone who has accrued that much fame and, and success, but still be very hands-on. Did you get some free reign as to what you wanted to do with each of the rooms? Yeah, (laughs) I did. So like there were certain, certain things like certain rooms that they were very particular about. And then there were other rooms that after I did those and they kind of, because this was my first time working with them after I kind of like proved, I had proven to myself that I could kind of create and I understood where they're coming from. They just kind of loosen the reins a bit and, you know, let me kind of do my thing being a creative. And that was really cool too. I love that you call yourself a mood magician. <laughs> I think that is really cool. Thank you. How do you get in the zone when you're preparing yourself to create a set design for a particular artist? 
You know, that's a really good question. I, <laughs> I think I'm always in, I'm, I'm never not in the zone, which could be both a gift and a curse. Right. So like what I'm personally, what I'm working on right now is like finding that balance as a creative between like, like a work-life balance. And I think because I like, I just love this so much. And it's such a part of like my DNA. It's hard to pull myself out of it to take breaks. I'm just like always in it, but I need to kind of pull myself out sometimes. But the two things that really help me either kind of pull myself out and just realign and also help me get focused. Being in nature is very important to me. I'm like a nature girl. I replenish my spirit replenishes in the sun, <laughs> like a flower. I, I feel um, you on that. I'm the same way. And then just being around my family. I'm from LA originally. And so living in Atlanta, obviously is very far away from them, but being able to just like visit them or them come and visit me or just talking to them on the phone just really helps just align myself. And then that then helps me kind of prepare myself mentally for a project. Mm-hmm. When you make a set for say, um, an artist like Summer Walker or SZA, do you do a lot of research and look at past music videos that they've done? Or do you try to totally distance yourself and come up with a completely new concept for them? Oh, I I do so much research. I think that is like, that's what really helped me out in the beginning. Because again, like I, I'm not like classically trained in in set design. I had to literally figure out what the current trends are, you know, how this was done in the past all of this is just research. So the research is so ingrained in like, in my process that it always happens. So it really, I do both. So I start with the research. I figure out if the client has done live show before, if they are used to doing live show with uh, like props and set design, if this is their first time doing that, because it's different, like, you know, doing a show and this is like just talking about concerts doing a show where it's just you and your DJ is a very different experience than doing a show where you have a three level set and you have a chair that you can sit in, or you can bring people on stage and interact with you because you have sets to like have them like interact with. Mm, um, the functionality, so you have to probably think exactly, of it differently. Exactly. Yeah. And so I have to do research on what they've done in the past. I have to do research on what type of performer they are. For example, Summer Walker, she's very like sultry and her voice is very soft and she moves very slowly when she, when she performs. I don't want to make a set for her that has like a trampoline or a jump house or something crazy because that's just not who she is. I would more than likely make a set for her that has a really beautiful chair that she can sit in that makes her feel comfortable. And it just is like soft and she likes pastel pinks, things that make her feel comfortable. So she performs better in the space. But all of that comes from the research. Mm. You have a lot to consider when creating these designs. Yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give a young creative looking to break into this business? I, I really, I always love this question because it, it just kind of reminds me of the things that I wish I, I knew when I started out. But there are two very important pieces that I kind of, I tried to keep with me throughout the journey of this. And it's inevitable that you're going to make mistakes. If you are navigating a space that you have never been in before, you are gonna, you're gonna fall on your face. And the sooner you understand that and, and you're okay with that because you understand that that's a part of the journey and the process, the better the turnout's gonna be because you're not gonna be as hard on yourself. So I think the first thing would be 
to understand that failure is is inevitable, but it's really just about how you learn from the falls and how quickly you get back up. That kind of gauges you know the success and the journey that you have ahead of you. And then the second thing would be to literally just keep on going. I have been able to have as many projects under my belt since 2017 in the small amount of time that I've been doing this because I literally just kept on going. Every project that failed or every no that I got, there were already like so many other options and, and things that I, I was thinking about like asking or reaching people I was trying to reach out to or projects I was pitching that the no's didn't really matter to me because I was already working on the next thing to try to get me to where I needed to go. I think like if I, in retrospect, if I would have, I guess, you know, focused on, on the failures I've had, I don't know if I would have gotten as far as I've, as I've gotten this far be, because I, that would have like, just weighed me down. Mm, that's really great advice. That's so helpful to people that are trying to start out and it's a nerve wracking world to get into. It's- yeah, man. It sucks. It sucks if you're navigating something that you don't know and you don't have anyone to kind of steer you in the right direction. Like that can be so scary. And so I understand I've been there. I've, I'm still there. Really. I'm still like <laughs> navigating this journey. I'm just in, in a slightly different place than I was, you know, two years ago. But hopefully, like, you know, where I'm at now, in two years from now, I will look back and and be proud of myself and be happy that I continued on with the journey. Marina Sky, creative director, designer, and owner of Set by Sky. More information about her work is on our website, wabe.org. Coming up, we'll hear how Atlanta native Divinity Rocks has branched out from music to children's picture books. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Kim Drobes, in for Lois Wrightis. Great to have you along. From touring with Beyonce to releasing family music albums, Divinity Rocks can do it all. Now, the Atlanta-born musician has released two children's picture books. When Rocks caught up with City Lights host Lois Reitzes this past December, she began by recounting how she first got into playing bass guitar. Uh, I started playing bass my second year in college at UC Berkeley. I was hanging out with a bunch of musician friends, and uh, I was a freestyle rapper mostly. And one of my friends was playing the bass pretty regularly. Uh, he's carrying around an upright bass. And I mentioned to him that I'd like to play the guitar. And he suggested that I pick up the bass guitar. <laughs> and I did. And I fell in love. Oh, the best of both worlds and a perfect marriage there if you were drawn to bass and guitar. There have been so many talented black female guitarists and bassists throughout our music history. Why do you think most have been overlooked or forgotten? (laughs) Well, uh, that's a tendency that happens here in America to ignore and often not properly credit black people in general for their contributions to music and art and creativity because the premise has always been to 
paint black people in a light that is not always bright. Do you think it also could have to do with the instrument itself, that a support instrument, which is not to say there aren't important solos and virtuosity is essential, but it's not the same as the singer being in the spotlight center stage. Do you think there's just not enough credit to Well, I mean, I think it's natural to give the lead singer their props. (laughs) They are the lead singer, and the voice is often the focal point in popular music. However, the guitar has been around for centuries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, actually I have a friend who has been doing a bunch of research about how before the guitar was mass manufactured in America by the companies we are so familiar with. There were groups of artisan black women who were crafting guitars and building guitars. And um, I'm interested to see how her research pans out. I think the guitar in general is a very popular instrument. It always garners attention. You know, everybody knows the lead guitar player and everybody's familiar with the lead guitar player in most bands. It's the bassist who usually is overlooked. Exactly. (laughs) The bassist, the coolest person in the band, some would argue. All right. So how are you working toward reclaiming that space or identifying that space and making Everyone pay attention. You know, part of it is being the lead singer who plays the bass. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) There are quite a few of us out in the world, and we've been inspired by a bunch of incredible women who came before us. So I believe the bass guitar being one of the younger instruments introduced to the scene and um, into the uh, pantheon of popular music the bass is starting to be a driving force um, in popular music. And women playing the bass has become really popular over the past 10 years. So, um, you know, I'm out there in front of my band, leading my band with the bass guitar in my hand and a bunch of rhymes in my mouth. And I'm just trying to inspire the world through this music. And that you are. Tell us, why did you want to create a family music album? (laughs) You know, I've always wanted my music to be inspiring and to be empowering. And I've released quite a few adult music albums that I feel like did just that. They were empowering. They were inspiring. But there was always a part of me that believed as I grew older in this music industry, I would begin to write books and, and you know, go back to my journalistic <laughs> roots, <laughs> having gone to UC Berkeley to be a journalist and having become a musician and bass player and artist. Um, I always thought this was something that I would do when I was much older. But in 2001, I released my first kids uh, song called I Could Be Anything, which was inspired by something my mom used to tell me when I was younger. But that project didn't really garner any attention and it didn't go anywhere. So I sort of left it for a while, set it on the back burner and thought about bringing it back to life in the future. And now we are in the future. 
while I'm not as old as I thought I would be when I jumped into this genre, it sort of came to me during the pandemic. You know, a lot of artists were out of touring work. And so uh, the other creative elements inside of us were activated during this time. Looking through Happy and Healthy, it's difficult not to feel happy. And clearly health is important from the very first page because you have a little twist on the well-known children's song. If you're happy and you're healthy, clap your hands. What brought health to the forefront of your concerns? You know, I've always been concerned about health and taking care of my body and making sure that I'm eating properly and that I'm exercising. Growing up, we were extremely active uh, in my household. And my mom was always making sure that we had a balanced meal. (laughs) Now that I think about it, there was always a vegetable on the plate. There was a meat. There was a starch. (laughs) So health was always at the forefront Uh, of my mind as a child. We were very active on the softball field, in the basketball field, and I ran track. And so uh, we were always uh, conscious about exercising. As a matter of fact, my mom is on her way to the Senior Olympics playing basketball. Oh, you're kidding. No, it's really exciting. (laughs) That is fantastic. Well, clearly her influence informs this book because we see little children of all colors from all different sorts of backgrounds, enjoying activity. And you even have a child who has to wear crutches below the the lyrics to, you can twist your hips, raise your hands. Talk about that intentionality, if you will. First, I'd like to say Nashante Fletcher really brought these lyrics to life with these characters. This is the illustrator. The illustrator with her movements. You know, I believe that because this book was initially part of Scholastic's family and community engagement department, it was really important for it to be all-inclusive. So we wanted children from all walks of life to open this book and see themselves, see their family members, and see their friends. Well, we have to ask about the Queen Bee. After touring with the legendary bassist Victor Wooten for five years, you became the bass player and assistant musical director for Beyoncé. What was it like? touring with her. It was all a dream, (laughs) to quote the great Biggie Smalls. It was empowering. It was affirming. It was fun. It was such an incredible learning experience. I made some really heart-to-heart connections out in the role with Beyonce. I was playing with an incredible band of sisters. We bonded. We saw the world. We connected with audiences. We shared music with people. We shared love. We inspired a generation of women who came after us. Little girls come up to us, all of us. And they say, I remember when I went to the Beyonce concert 
in whatever respective city they went to the concert in and they looked on that stage and they saw all these women. Not only did they see the focal point who was Beyonce, but they looked behind her and saw a band full of women supporting each other. And they were able to say, wow, I can do that. I wanna do that. Oh, she's playing the drums. Hmm, I'm gonna ask for some drums for Christmas. Oh, she's playing the guitar. Oh, what is this instrument, the, the bass guitar? I, I wanna do that. So I've met young women <laughs> around the world who have been inspired by us. And I believe that is the most important part of having had that experience. Atlanta native Divinity Rocks. More information about her new children's album, Ready, Set, Go, and her children's picture books, Happy and Healthy and Me and You, is available on our website, wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights on WABE, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., we celebrate the life of Atlanta Symphony principal cellist Christopher Rex. Plus, publisher Henry Owings shares over 40 years of local music memories in his new collection of concert flyers, Plus One Atlanta. If you missed part of today's show, you could catch up on our website, wabe.org. There you'll find a complete archive of interviews so you can listen to City Lights on your own schedule. City Lights executive producer and host is Lois Reitzis. Summer Evans is our producer and our engineer is Shelly Canavy. I'm senior producer Kim Drobes, and we want you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow Lois on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thank you for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.